universally wrong? Um, I'd say probably the generic, don't murder. Deceit. What's going on over in the Middle East? I just, the, the harsh, the hatred, the anger, um, I think that's just wrong. You can voice your opinion about your religion without causing that harm. Stepping out of your promises, commitments, whatever those promises, commitments are, whether it's a marriage, whether it's telling somebody you'll do something, there are some fundamental wrong, definitely different levels of wrongness. The human condition, um, we're conditioned from birth to believe that this entity is perfect and the people that speak for him are perfect. So positively, <laughs> there's absolutely a clear wrong and a clear right. No, there's never 100% clear wrong and right. Those answers really come into the eye of the beholder. You know, I think it comes up to how you were raised, your upbringing. Well, murdering somebody is wrong. Um, turning right on a red arrow is wrong. From the moment you have consciousness that you are able to discern between right and wrong, you know. The problem is, is that you have the entire world is putting their perspective on who you should be in this world and change your views of what is right morally and wrong. All right, welcome to 8.30. So glad that you are here with us this morning. My name is Angela. I serve on the teaching team here, and I just want to start by saying I think that we can agree that there are some things that are just better when you follow the rules. For instance, driving. When you go out for a drive, it's just so much, it's just a better experience if everybody follows the rules, right? How about baking? Things usually turn out better when you put in the right amounts of the right ingredients. Yes. Oh, it's happened to you before, huh? Um, playing cards, playing any type of board game. I love it, but it's just a better experience for everybody if everybody knows the rules, everybody, you know, pays attention to what's cheating and what's not cheating. It's just a better experience. But most of all, college basketball. I know the madness of March is here, but... Things are just better when the rules are being followed. And as much as I love my team, as much as I always want my team to win, I think I can honestly say that if the rules are being followed, that if each team plays exactly the way they're supposed to, if the refs make every single call unbiased, perfectly, just how they're supposed to, if nobody gets hurt, then I'm okay if my team loses. Yeah, I really am. <laughs> I'm here today because Jesus is awesome. All right. But the reason why things are better if the rules are being followed, but what we see played out in life, it, it doesn't happen that way, does it? And that's because we were designed for a different world than the one in which we live. We were made for a place where the rules are different. Because we were created to live in a world without sin and without death. 
And we have been in this series where we are taking a look at what is sin. What is the cost of sin? The fact of the matter is that sin leads to death. And as we walk into this time of Easter, by seeing just the the penalty of sin, the destruction of sin, the death that sin brings, as we walk into Easter, we want to look at sin so that we can more fully appreciate the beautiful and amazing and precious gift of the grace of God through giving us his son, Jesus Christ. That abundance that all of us have been offered. And so what I want to do today is I want to start at the very beginning. And I want to begin in Genesis chapter 1. Because what I want to do is I want us to remind ourselves of the way that we were made. And so Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created them male and female he created them and god blessed them And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We see that the earth was good. From the very beginning, everything that was created was good and we were created in the image of God. And that word image is a word that means a likeness or a resemblance. There's an older expression that was used, and it's called shadowing forth. And it was used when a king would send his representative or an ambassador to another country or another nation to speak on his behalf. They were shadowing forth the image of the king. They were called to be his representative in that place. And our role as human beings from the very beginning is to shadow forth God, to be the representation of God here in this place. And what do we see God doing from the very beginning? He was creating life. He was establishing order. He was making sure things were in perfect union and relationship with both himself And with each other. And so I think where we need to start is knowing that by us being made in God's image, then we are called to help life flourish. That's our role. The Bible says we were called to subdue the earth, to have dominion over every living thing. And I wonder what the first thought is that comes to your mind when you hear those words, to subdue something to have dominion over something. They don't really have a positive connotation today. And maybe you've seen people use those words to break the rules for their own advantage or their own gain. But what's important to remember is that the original hearers of this story, they knew that those words to subdue something and to have dominion over something, it actually meant to care for it. 
to have compassion on it, to maintain the proper order of the rules that had already been established, creating life, helping things be able to grow and flourish and be in perfect relationship with both God and his creation. There's a quote by Tim Mackey of the Bible Project, and he says it this way. He says, the fundamental portrait of the image of God is that God wants to share his love and creativity and opportunity to make and create relationships. He wants to share it with as many creatures as possible. And again, these rules and this order that was established from the very beginning was so that life could flourish. And us being made in his image is us being able to share in that gift. But again, the world that we see and live in today, the rules have been broken. That order is, is out of place. And we, we see the effects of this today. Even when you continue reading in Genesis, you see Adam and Eve. They take, they eat the fruit, and they sever their relationship with both God and with each other. And then in Genesis chapter 4, that's actually where we see the first mention of the word sin. And it's used in the context of relationships, of Cain and Abel, two brothers, and God looking favorably on Abel's gift and not Cain's, and Cain desiring something more because God didn't accept his gift. This jealousy, this comparison that sets in and selfishness. I know for me, I um, can get trapped in comparing my sin with someone else's. I have been known to have a very sharp tongue and I can use my words in very destructive ways. I've hurt people and I know that it is wrong. But I can still look at myself and say, well, at least I'm faithful to my husband. Well, at least I haven't killed anyone. Well, at least I haven't done whatever. Comparing myself. And the truth is that when I get stuck comparing myself and judging my sin, no matter how big or small with someone else's, then I'm using a different standard, a different set of rules than the ones that God originally created. And just like Pastor Brian said a couple weeks ago, our sin is personal. We damage ourselves. But the truth is our sin is also relational. We damage other people as well. No matter how big, no matter how small, and how often do we really stop and see that our sin can hurt other people? Like, well, if I just hide it. If I just pretend that it really isn't that bad or that it really didn't happen, if nobody else sees what I did, if I can just act normal. But look at Adam and Eve. Could they hide it? They had to use leaves to cover up what was embarrassing for them because they knew that it was out of place from the way that they were made. And God was there. God sees. God knows. 
And not only that, but God is willing and able to redeem and to restore. And what God does is God always responds with life. Whatever consequences exist because of our sin, God is there and his kindness is greater. His grace is greater than our sin. In Adam and Eve's nakedness, they tried to cover themselves up with these leaves, but God provided a better gift. He gave them animal skins. And what we know about this was a sacrifice was made. God's responding with life, and we know that it is a life-giving sacrifice because Leviticus 17 tells us the life of the flesh is in the blood, and it's the blood that makes atonement by the life. And you know that those animal skins, they were softer, they were warmer, they offered better protection than those scratchy leaves that they tried to put on for themselves. And even with Cain, when he um, was banished from God's presence, God still responded with life because God put a mark on Cain so that he would remain alive, so that no one would kill him. Even when we break the rules, God is there. God responds with life because the truth is, no matter how big, no matter how small, we all break the rules. We have all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. Psalm 58 says it like this. These wicked people are born sinners. Even from birth, they have lied and gone their own way. They spit venom like deadly snakes. They are like cobras that refuse to listen ignoring the tunes of the snake charmers, no matter how skillfully they play. From the very beginning, we see that we don't have enough skill to follow the rules on our own. God has designed us in a way that no one is better off without him. And when we take our eyes off of him, all we get is this moving target that says, well, at least you didn't sin like this. Or at least you didn't do that sin until you do. And then what? Jesus longs for a relationship with us. And Jesus has made the way. Even when we use our freedom to choose our own way, to think that we know what's best, he is always there. And so if you would turn with me to John chapter 8. You'll also find it printed in your handout this morning. But that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. John chapter 8. Here Jesus is teaching and he's having conversations with both people that agree with him and disagree with him. He's having conversations and people in his audience are rule followers as well as rule breakers. And chapter 8 begins with a woman who is caught in her sin. And Jesus tells her, go and sin no more. He doesn't ignore her sin. He doesn't accept it. And he doesn't approve of it. But he responds with life. And all throughout chapter 8, we see these discourses where Jesus is trying to get his listeners to see it is all about a relationship with God. Stop comparing your sin with someone else's 
Stop seeing that you know the right thing to do. Instead, see your need. Because until you see your need, you are going to die in your sin. Adam and Eve, when they ate the fruit, all they saw was their nakedness and their shame. And those are words that mean confusion because they are out of order of the way that they were created. They saw this need. And when Cain gets angry and resentful and he kills his brother, when God says, Cain, what have you done? Cain says, my punishment is too great to bear. Cain recognizes his need and he knows that he needs, he needs some help. How about us? Are we able to recognize our need? Do we see that no matter how big our sin, no matter how small our sin, that we all have a need? Or do you feel trapped by choices that you've made? Do you feel like, well, my sin is just too big, that I've just gone too far? I hope that you can hear this morning that whether you follow the rules or whether you break the rules, that all of us have been offered this gift of abundant grace, that we all have a need. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God gave this gift of life. And for us to live in God's image, to live the way that we were made, to help make choices that, that create and give life. It's about a relationship with God as our Father. It's not about the rules. It's all about a relationship. And there's no path outside of this relationship with God as our Father where we're going to find true freedom we're going to find true fulfillment. And so John chapter 8, verse 30, Jesus is telling them, listen, until you see your need, you are going to die in your sin. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you you free. So right from the very start, as Jesus is talking, there are those who are now seeing value in what he has to say. It says that some are believing in him, and so that's who he's talking to now. He, they see this um, authority that he has, but they have not given him authority to rule their lives. But they see truth. They see truth in what he is saying. And from the very beginning, that's what John is telling us. You know the truth because of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the saving truth. And that when we believe, that's the beginning. Now to be Jesus' disciples, we are called to abide. Abide in his word. For them, it was walk with me. Listen to what I have to say. Model the things that I am doing. Take time to be in a relationship with me. For us today, we have his word. It's living. It's active. 
Take time for it to renew your mind, to transform your heart and your perspective so that as you walk through life, as you make these choices, that his Holy Spirit can bring to mind his words of truth, of saving truth that are freedom. Mm. Verse 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. And have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Okay, the sarcasm that I added was mine. But um, basically what these Pharisees are saying now is they're saying we have the right guy in our corner. We're, we're in a relationship with Abraham. Like he's the right guy. He's the guy that you want in your lineage. We've done the right thing. We're not a slave. And Jesus is telling them, if you keep it about what your physical eyes see, yes, you are a slave. You are being deceived. Because it's not knowing about God, it's abiding with him. It's taking time for his word to transform your heart, to see the truth and the freedom that he gives. And what's happening is they don't see their need. They are saying, well, we're good. We're good. We got Abraham. We've done the right things. We're good. So, of course, we're free. But Jesus says in verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, You will be free indeed. And by Jesus' opening words here saying, truly, truly, he's saying, I'm telling you the truth. Don't miss this. Jesus, before he even speaks, he's saying, amen, because this is the truth. Don't miss this part. This is why Jesus came. This is why God gave. Now, as he's talking, he's saying this practicing sin. And he's referring to something, yes, that is a continual habit. That it's something that repeatedly keeps us in bondage. But I hope you hear and know that sin is a deceiver. No matter what habit or once in a lifetime, you know, experience that you have with sin, sin is a deceiver. And just like Pastor Josh taught us a couple weeks ago, Pastor Josh said that sin is going to promise us something that it can never give. To take us away from the one relationship that truly matters. Sin is a deceiver. Sin blinds us to our need for rescue. Sin makes us think we can do this on our own. But the truth is only a power greater than ourselves can set us free. And how do we know this? When you look at verse 35. Jesus is talking about being a slave. And a slave is someone who cannot repay their debt of servitude on their own. A slave's position in the house is temporary. A slave has no rights. There's no security. A slave can be let go at any time. Only the son. And John makes sure that we see it is not a son. It is the son. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, God himself, and his place in the home, it's secure. 
He has full power, full authority to rescue and redeem. He is the power greater than ourselves. And that's the good news. Jesus has not left us in our sin. He has not left us to just be cast out. He paid for us himself through his blood, the blood of life. It's for freedom that we've been set free. We don't have to be subject again to this yoke of bondage, this yoke of slavery. Are we going to have lapses? Yes. Are we going to not always see the value that the rules provide, the safety and the protection? Yes. But remember, it's not the rules that are sufficient to reshape us into this right living. It's not the rules, it's not sin management, but it's a relationship, a relationship with Jesus Christ. We are in this season of Lent right now, and Lent is a time that is meant to slow us down, to help us take time to abide, to dwell in his word, so that we can fully appreciate what he has done. The fact that here is creator God himself being found in the appearance as a man, humbling himself, becoming obedient to the point of death because he wants to be in a relationship with each and every one of us. I found a quote that I think sums things up pretty nicely. It says, rightly understanding the image of God means that we're not afraid of the beautifully complex way God has designed us. Recognizing that there's a spiritual component to every part of our lives. There's a degree to which our struggles are always going to confront us with a choice. Will we pursue the Lord amid our suffering or trial? Or will we look for help without reference to God? God has created us so that we can help make choices that help life flourish, both for ourselves as well as others. No matter where we find ourselves today, no matter what we did yesterday or what we're going to do tomorrow, Jesus paid the price through his blood for each and every one of us. He has brought us from death to life. And we never want you to stay where you are. We want you to be able to abide and to dwell and to make these words true every day of your life. And so in your handout, you will see that the bottom part is perforated. And I really just encourage you to put your name, either your email or phone number, and and drop it in one of the black boxes as you leave church today so that we can just encourage you. We're not going to bug you. We're just going to encourage you. And maybe for you, it is beginning this relationship with Jesus. Maybe his spirit has just been working on you this morning because, again, he is the one that has done all of the work. Maybe for you, you understand the need to be in community 
to surround yourself with other people that can encourage you and build you up. And so we just want to encourage you to find a serve team, join a small group, be a part of life together. Maybe for you, it's the prayer, Holy Spirit, if there's more, I want it. And if that's you today, I just encourage you, check that box. And then finally, abide, meditate, dwell. Take time to see how Jesus Christ, the saving truth, has set you free. Bow your heads and pray with me. God, it is such a privilege to be here today. And we're so grateful that we can call you Father. Thank you, God, that you are perfect and set apart, and yet you still choose to draw us in, to call us your children. God, thank you for your love and your faithfulness that's above and beyond what I can even ask and imagine. God, thank you for giving yourself in the person of Jesus to suffer and die and to shed blood so that we can have life forever, here and forever. God, we just ask that your spirit of truth would be with us so that we can walk with you in newness of life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand.